With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and each and every Friday, myself and co-host George Ellick will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside Bet365's Steve Freeth. We're counting down the days to Christmas and so as well as chatting about what the likes of Newcastle and Leeds really need from Santa Claus this year, we're also going to put together our own mid-season acker and dish out a couple of end of the year awards too. Hello guys. Good day, good day. Who am I? How good you day. doing? You okay? Good day, good mate. Day. Yeah, all good. You both okay? <laughs> good day, sport. Yeah. <laughs> are we neighbours? How's the cricket? <laughs> yeah, not no, good. None of that. Well, how are you both? All good, mate. Yeah, all, all good, thanks. Um, escaped the Omicron hotspot of London to, to the in-laws in Lincolnshire, so I've uh, managed to, to get away for Christmas, so I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, I'll describe myself as at risk currently. Steve, you okay? Yeah, I thought he was going to crack an at-risk gag towards me there, uh, Daniel. I thought but yes. about going the West Bromwich route, but didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, looking forward to the the festive period very much, and hopefully we'll have some uh, games to go to and uh, and watch mm. on TV. Yeah, we're, I'm going to ask you in a minute about like, any cherished Christmas football memories, and I did not have a cherished Christmas football memory at the weekend when I drove to Birmingham two hours, and then the game got called off as I arrived. <laughs> that was I, that uh, won't I, go I, down on the list. I took great pleasure in. Um, my mates were uh, were like in the in the Aston Tavern, I think, at eleven o'clock. Dan, they, they were making a real day of it, you know. So I really yeah. enjoyed texting them saying, "Guys, wasted journey." I think they're in there till about four or five o'clock, and then then <laughs> cracked on in Lichfield. So, really so they day. had a good day, especially without me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably had a, had a great day. But have you, have either of you got any cherished memories? I think for, for me, uh, as an as an Oxford fan. Um, Boxing Day back in 2008 was probably the, oh, the, yeah. the it's always darkest before the dawn moment where I went to go and watch us. I'm sure you remember, Dan. I went to go and watch us in what was then the Blue Square premiere, lose 2-1 away at Salisbury. Uh, and that wow. might seem a weird cherished Christmas memory, but we had a new manager in the dugout, a guy who I remember his interview post-game got me thinking, wow, we might have something a bit special here, a certain Chris Wilder. And the rest, as they say, is history. So even though it was a, it was kind of the the moment we hit rock bottom, and after that we went on an amazing run towards the playoffs. And Chris Wilder, just a couple of weeks later, was known amongst in my household and amongst all Oxford fans as the Messiah. So um, that was the moment where Oxford hit bottom and started on this upward trajectory, which now sees us in a heady heights of sixth in League One. There we go. Everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? <laughs> Steve, any, any cherished memories from corporate hospitality for you on Boxing Day football? <laughs> I, it, it's just, it's just family with me, Dan. My, uh, I mentioned last week, my uh, mum and dad. We always go to uh, a game on Boxing Day, and of course, the older I get, the older they get. I really, really cherish going to the games with them, especially where we are in the world right now. So, we are going to Manchester City Leicester on Boxing Day. Um, I, I remember them of five, about five years ago. 
they drove down on their own my mom and dad you know and you know, they are what mid-70s now but they're, they're just for some reason they wanted to go to swansea against the albion of course the albion lost one nil it's a typical That's tony right. pulis away performance but uh yeah they they just go to games boxing day really enjoy it and i think uh, i certainly cherish going to all different games just a couple off the top of my head stoke sheffield wednesday from a couple of seasons ago stoke were desperate for the points and were two one down going into injury time and then they scored two two goals in injury time to win the game three two that was quite a memorable game and also getting stuck in the snow at the hawthorns in in 2014 bmws don't like snow do they so i remember that yeah the, the, the snow was amazing and, and unfortunately albion weren't and they got beat 3-1 nothing new there Steve telling stories there so everyone knows that he drives a nice car. Thank you very much, Steve. <laughs> I, I agree with you on the, the family aspect of it, although my dad's just texted me saying whatever happens on Boxing Day, he, he won't be going because he's so concerned about getting COVID now. Yeah, I that, yeah. So, yeah, I won't, if the Villa game's on, I won't be getting that cherished family memory this year. Never mind. I'll find someone else to go with me if the game is on. But before we do get into the games on Boxing Day, remember you can sign up to The Athletic and save 33% at the moment, just £3.33 a month for an entire year. Head to theathletic.com slash football pod and you should be able to take advantage of that offer. And if you've still not bought anything for that football mad family member or friend, you can still head to our website, theathletic.com and give the gift of The Athletic this Christmas for just £29.99, which is 50% off. Right, first game then, Liverpool against Leeds, 12.30 on Boxing Day. Leeds, I, f- I feel for them a little bit, Steve, because they have got so many injuries. But you've also got to look, do they need to be a little bit more adaptable? Because you can't play that way with so many players missing, surely. He's, he's not going to change now, though, is he? You just can't see it, really. I, I mean, the last few weeks, of course, they have been exposed by by better sides, haven't they? I, I read a piece by Mark Carey in The Athletic about they've conceded 32 shots when losing the ball in the final third of the pitch as well. I know that's skewed a little bit by conceded 16 goals in in, in the last four games. I, I read earlier that Mesley has also had 30, uh, 36 shots on target in those four games to save and conceded 16 big chances. So he's not going to change. 11 shots on target in the first half for Arsenal. I mean, the, the oh, amount you of money... they were going to score every time they went oh, forward. It was, it was unbelievable. It was inc- I mean, we've got a special for next season, uh, a Premier League side to score 10 or more goals in a game, of course. It hasn't been done yet, but we were 20 to 1 for that. We soon cut that in half, uh, I mean, to 10 to 1. It just feels like, you know, the teams that some sides are putting out, COVID-wise, they're going to they're gonna struggle. And they're very un- uncompetitive sides as well, aren't they? So, yeah, I did fear for Leeds... They're gonna. They are gonna carry on with their style. I know. I know. We've they've missed a, a lot of players, Dan, as well. You know, the loss of Phillips there, given the, given the defence a, a, a bit of protection as well. And of course, we see a side against Liverpool this week have already scored fifty goals. So um, I'm, I'm expecting a few goals this weekend. Just to look at the market, you know, it's only it's only about fifty to one for seven nil this week as well. So yeah, I think we're expecting a few goals in this one. Liverpool about one to eight to win this game. Very short indeed. Is it 11 they've conceded in two now, George? That goal difference across three games, I mean, they could get to goals conceded 20 quite feasibly, the way it's going at the moment and the way Liverpool play. Yeah, that must be some to... kind of record as well. Would that be a record? If 20 goals across three games? That must that must be a record. It must be close, yeah. I'm afraid I don't know that stuff offhand. Off, off Come on, George, <laughs> but... I thought you'd know. Come on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they look desperate at the moment. I think they are just crawling towards January where the fans are, are praying that there's going to be some attempt from the club to um, to improve the, the playing squad. They need to get Calvin Phillips back fit as soon as possible. But, yeah. it, you know, it's easy to point at the Phillips 
absence as being a key reason why they are so poor defensively. And it, and it does clearly play a, a massive part in it. And we've seen previously this season when Phillips has been out, the, the performances dip massively. But at the moment, they look so at sea. They look so poor. They look so without a plan. And the one thing about Leeds under Bielsa that has always been, you know, the... the, the the good part, even when things aren't going too well, is how much they offer going forward. And, and that has, that's just gone in the last couple of weeks. They don't look dangerous going forward. They don't look like what they're trying to do um, to the opposition is having any effect. And, and Bielsa even said in his in his interview, I think it was after the Arsenal game, you know, or, or after the City game, actually it was, he said, you know, the, the plans that I gave the players to try and hurt Manchester City just didn't work. So that is the big concern for me is, yes, you know, they look pretty um, easy, pretty vulnerable uh to 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 attack against but going forward they're offering not enough um so i'm i'm pretty concerned about them at the moment and it's gonna you know i, I think they will be okay but it's it, it's not gonna be a quick fix where phillips comes back and they're gonna be okay and i do wonder how um you know, that there don't seem to be too many rumors um compared to other premier league clubs about Leeds going out and spending a lot of money and and jan to preserve their premier league status so uh, and it's not really the Bielsa way. You know, they're, they're not a team who spend willy-nilly. They're, they're a team who identify players who fit into exactly what Bielsa wants. And the other thing we know about Bielsa that isn't going to help their cause is that normally it takes players about six months to, to get up to speed in terms of what he wants to do with them. Um, you know, we've seen Bielsa bring in players before in January and then not really use them for the rest of the season. So th- there are a lot of concerns here, but we also should remember that the fixture list can often um, play up narratives in an unfair manner and coming up against City, Arsenal and Liverpool in back-to-back games um, is always going to be very difficult, especially when you've got the the, the absentees that they've got, particularly Phillips. So um, maybe a, a note of, you know, not not positivity, but, but, but just something on the other side. Um, but certainly at the moment, Leeds do not look like a side who are going to be capable of stopping of stopping Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, nobody likes to hear Phil Hay, sad. But let's hear from Phil now and see what he makes of all this at Leeds. I think if there's one thing that Leeds would like for Christmas, uh, more than anything else at the moment, it would be an easing of the injury list, which I have to say in... in 14, 15 years of covering Leeds, I've never seen a situation as bad at the moment. There's no question at all that Bielsa operates with a smaller squad than most Premier League managers, and and you know this season that is putting more pressure on them than ever before. But equally, the circumstances they were in last week, when they would have had literally the potential for eight debutants on the bench, that's how young the squad was. That's how many players they were missing. It gives you an idea of of how hard it's become and, and how short of players they are. I think in a wider sense, um, the, the, the fan base would love to see signings next month. I think there probably have to be signings next month, particularly in midfield, which is the area more than anywhere else that, that Leeds have been have been weak and, and have been light this season. Um, but above all else, uh, second half of the season, um, a bit of peace, a bit of quiet, um, a bit of a return to steady results that make sure, above all else, that, that Leeds stay up because they 100% have to. Thanks very much to Phil there, the expert on all things Leeds United. Let's look at Liverpool a bit now, Steve. Held at Spurs at the weekend. Best game of football in the Premier League this season. Bar none. Really, really enjoyed that on Sunday. First question. Should Harry Kane have seen red? David Ornstein revealed at the start of the week in his column on The Athletic that the main reason for the VAR not punishing Kane more 
was that Robertson was jumping when fouled, meaning the England captain did not catch him as badly as Robertson did Royal. I thought the cane challenge was worse. If I'm being, I know he was, wasn't jumping, but I thought the cane one was worse. That's just my opinion. Steve, where did you sit with it? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, these things do look bad, I suppose, when you slow them down as well, don't they, these type of challenges. But I thought at the time that that, that was a red card and likewise the Robertson challenge as well. So for me, I think with the majority of people, I think we were, we were scratching our heads as to how come that Robertson was sent off and Kane wasn't. So yeah, I'm definitely with the majority on that one, Dan. Yeah, Robertson very hard done by George. You know, he's the one that's been badly fouled in the first half and the guy who's done it is, is a scout. And then he makes a... Ch- it's a silly challenge. I just, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know why. It's a bit brainless, but you, you'll feel hard done by, won't you? You will. And, you know, no one's going to sit here and argue that the VAR necessarily got it wrong about the Robertson challenge. And we shouldn't... We should look at these incidents in isolation, not as a package. But, you know, the um, the Kane argument, you know, the, the line of of why he wasn't sent off um, from David Ornstein just doesn't seem to make any sense to me. It doesn't really tally with the rules. You know, you look at the rules of, of football and, and the reasons for, for a red card. You know, excessive force seems to be the main reason why a tackle like Harry Kane's will be a red card. The fact that Robertson's foot wasn't in the ground doesn't change the, the force with which he went in. And that sets a, a really weird precedent here where, you know, we should all be incredibly thankful that Andy Robertson's um, foot wasn't planted because if it was, it seems... Um, unlikely that he'd have escaped a, a pretty serious injury. So you are almost punishing Liverpool for the um, evasive action that Robertson took in order to avoid his own injury. It, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. If anything, it muddies the water even further. All we want from from Premier League referees and from all referees really is consistency, and and that falls so far short of it. It's it's a bit of a um, head scratcher in terms of the explanation. Kane quite clearly should have been sent off for me. Um, and Robertson should have done too uh, later on in the game. It, it seems clearly obvious. And whoever's moved to, you know, it's it's kind of like what we're seeing quite often with politicians at the moment, where um, you're so keen to defend your actions that you completely lose sight of what you're actually defending. Yeah. Klopp was quiet after the game as well, wasn't he, George? <laughs> uh, well, we know what um, Jürgen Klopp is, is like. He's one of the most passionate and animated. I, I thought he was going to get sent off for his... I mean, he probably should have been for his reaction off the back of his yellow card as well. Um, you know, it wouldn't be the first time you've seen... Uh, did Dean Smith got sent off last season for saying something about did the referee get juggling balls for Christmas? I feel <laughs> Klopp, Klopp should have been sent off. Yeah, I mean, we've seen many players uh, in the past get sent off um, for continuing to argue their case after in a, in a disrespectful way. Look, I mean, it's going to be frustrating for Jürgen Klopp. But as you mentioned, let's, you know, talk about the game itself. And, and it's a difficult game to, to analyse because on the one hand, you have Tottenham missing so many chances. You know, Harry Kane... Close to being at his best. And a lot of people are going to hear that and say, sorry, yeah. I mean, you know, he's missed so many chances. But yeah, look at the positions he was getting himself in. He looked way fitter, way more on it. Um, and that finishing, as we know with Kane, if, if Harry Kane is getting into positions to score five goals in a game against Liverpool, those goals are going to come. You don't have to worry about that. The finishing will come too. You have the amazing Alisson save from Deli Ali as well. You had Son missing a chance. So on that, on the pure basis of, of chance creation... Even before the, the the Robertson red card, you could argue that Spurs could have been home and dry. However, Liverpool should have had a penalty in the first half. And there was a period of the game between um, Hotter getting the equaliser and half-time where Liverpool were well on top. And it looked to me like it was a matter of time until they, until they got the, the goal to go ahead, uh, which eventually did come. I think there are positives to be taken from both sides. Obviously, Spurs more so because this was the first time under Antonio Conte. You know, I mentioned last week that given the... Um, 
the reason for having such a prolonged break was because of COVID. I wondered whether or not it could be a time that Conte wanted in order to drill his players. Well, the evidence of, of the game on Sunday suggested that he had, because that was a completely yeah. different showing um, from Spurs than we'd seen previously. So Steve, with AFCON, suspensions now, COVID knocking around as well. We might not see Liverpool's strongest 11 for some time. Do they have enough to maintain a title challenge over the coming month? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Dan. I mean, the I thought that midfield against Spurs were were, were second best, uh, to be honest with you. I, I, it was good to see Harry Winks, you know, play so well. He stood out. I don't know whether he was back mm. to form or he just got plenty of space in that meal, um, that midfield with with Milner, Cater, and, and and Morton being pretty overrun. Of course, it's. I mean, what they're going to miss? Two games, two league games. Is it? The, the Salah and Mane and, and, and Cater, of course, he Brentford at home and, and Palace away. So it's not that bad. But I suppose when you've got the likes of you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, Firmino's coming back, isn't he? Joe Gomez, uh, I suppose uh, Nico Williams will get will get minutes as well. Curtis Jones hopefully coming back soon from an eye injury as well. There's certainly um, you know scope for those guys to, uh, to come back in the side. Of course, we've got Virgil van Dijk coming back from COVID as well. So um, at least Klopp's not moaning as much as Thomas Tuchel was about the Wolves game with all the all the internationals that they still had playing and on the bench as well. So um, clearly, teams are going to have to adapt. And you know the the Afghan the players that have uh, that are going two key players of Liverpool as well. So it's going to be tough. And if it goes ahead, they're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a reggy time for Liverpool as well with those players missing. You know what he's like in games like that. George, then a tip, please. Yeah, not easy to find some value when you've got a an eight-on favourite in, in Liverpool. But I think um, the even money with Bet365 about Liverpool to win both halves is attractive for a couple of reasons. Firstly, if the reason why Liverpool are one to eight is because um, Leeds are incredibly poor defensively you know the reason why the the twin both halves market is often attractive is because actually the amount of goals in the first half even when you've got a a heavy favorite is lower than one would imagine so the price on winning a first half is often quite short but if 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 leads turn up as defensively frail as we've seen them in the last couple of weeks it seems impossible to me that we're not going to see Liverpool break the deadlock in that first half and the other reason I like it is because we know with Jurgen Klopp and we know in Liverpool it's not in their style it's not in their DNA the way that they play to sit on a lead so even if they are three and a lap at half time Liverpool are not a side who are going to drop in and look to to protect their lead not impressed at the moment by Leeds going forward. I can't really see why they'd, they'd provide too much um, resistance to the Liverpool onslaught. So if Liverpool are eight on, I don't think they're, they're even money to um, to win both halves. I think they should be a bit shorter than that. They're, they're two on to score in both halves. And as I say, I, I, I don't see Leeds uh, causing too many issues going forward. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Game two, Villa v Chelsea, tea time on Boxing Day. We haven't spoke about Chelsea for a while on the show. Are they, as Dom Fifield writes in The Athletic, just hanging in there in the title race, Steve? I tell you what, Dan, they've gone from two to one to twelve to one in the Premier League out, uh, outright market pretty quickly oh, really? as well. Yeah, to so, one. yeah, twelve to one though. So that's you know that's a big drift. I think a few months ago people were saying, well, how come Chelsea aren't favourites? I can't believe they're not favourites, etc. Clearly, Tuchel's had a, had a lot of players missing from COVID, as we mentioned, and, and player welfare is, is is one that seems to be the narrative at the moment. You know, for this week weekend's games as well, and I, I totally understand that as well. And it and it's tough. And he made you know talking about COVID and the struggling for preparation, players being on the coach and having dinner together who have COVID, some haven't, some players getting you know getting tested in the morning as well. It's tough. So I understand that. And and, and one player that came back who's key to the side. N'Golo Conte, who, who came into the side, he missed six games, all competitions, and Chelsea conceded 11 goals there. All of a sudden, he's back in. They get a clean sheet at Molyneux as well. So I think going forward, Dan, I think uh, N'Golo Conte will uh, will definitely be yeah, key for Chelsea. But you boys certainly give him a good game earlier in the season. They were massively flattered by that result, weren't they, at Stamford Bridge? Yeah. Feels like a decent time for Villa to play Chelsea, George, which I'm very wary of saying as a Villa fan. Yeah, yeah it does. I mean, they're... Their their form in general is pretty consistently patchy, but their performances at home compared to on the road are, are completely different. Um, we look at their recent home games. You know, it may not look particularly good. They they drew one all with Everton, uh, a depleted Everton side. But anyone who watches that game knows that Chelsea were well on top. The XG um, battle there was three point two to Chelsea's zero point six three to Everton. Uh, you then go back to the uh, the home draw against Manchester United, two point three five to Chelsea, zero point five six to Manchester United, and then back to the Burnley game, which they drew one all, three point zero one to Chelsea, zero point six seven to Burnley. And Thomas Tuchel has been saying this. He says he doesn't understand why his team at home are, are, are struggling so much to put their chances away. But on the road, it's a bit of a different story where you know they beat Watford in a game that was very, very tight. And the actually battle had it about one all there. Uh, and then away at Wolves uh, again la- uh, last week. They huffed and they puffed. They didn't create a great deal, nor the Wolves. It was a, a pretty marginal game, which ended up being a draw. So they're not, you know, they're, they're just... They're not getting the points they deserve at home, but their away performances are, are lacking a bit. So given Villa's performances in recent weeks, uh, I think they go into this with a with a pretty decent chance. If they perform to the high level that we've seen under Steven Gerrard and, and Chelsea are consistent in not being able to create a great deal against middling um, middling Premier League sides, then, then Villa fans should go into this hopeful of causing an upset. Yeah, beat Chelsea at Villa Park on the last day of last season as well. Did Villa. Steve, how do you think this one plays out? I can see this being a, a a tight game, Dan. Clearly, we're all waiting for team news. Team news is so key for for yeah, betting be these days. We've got eleven yeah. players at the moment. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, the the fluctuation of prices when these team sheets come out an hour before kickoff is uh, is quite something. And hopefully, uh, 
Conte will be fit to play 90 minutes again. And with him in the side, I can see Chelsea being um, a bit better defensively. And I think this will be a tight game. So I'm going to go for under two and a half goals, currently around the 10 to 11 mark. Game three, 8pm on Boxing Day, Brighton versus Brentford. And the big story going around here at the moment is that Brighton Sporting Director Dan Ashworth, the man credited Mm. with the creation of the Elite Player Performance Plan and England DNA, has been granted permission to speak to Newcastle. Steve, you, you've got some opinions on him. He used to be at your team, West Brom, didn't he? He did. I was thinking, what did he do at West Brom? I was racking my brain trying to think what, what, he, what he would have unearthed at West Brom. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you, you love a dig, don't you? He, no, he, well, genuine, that's genuine. He, he actually came in as the Albion as a number two to Eddie Boothroyd in running the academy. And he, he worked his way up. Uh, I think it was around the time when sporting directors on these shores were kind of frowned upon and people didn't really understand that the type of job that he did. Um, he, he worked his way up. Uh, I think he's he, he did a fantastic job. His, his knowledge of players both domestically and uh, across the globe is fantastic. He's got a great eye for talent. I think he brought in type of players like, clearly, you know, these aren't fantastic players, but they are to Albion fans, you know, Foster, Jakob, uh, McCauley, Olsen. You know, those, th- those type of players did, did fantastic for Albion and he certainly had more hits uh, than misses. He's just a shrewd operator that surrounds himself with good people, earning the respect of people along the way, whether they be players, managers, agents or anything like that. And he doesn't really go after the attention. He's not one for the limelight. Um, it kind of goes under the radar, the job that he's done, I think, but he'll certainly get that in Newcastle. I actually sat by him at the Swansea Stoke game in April 2019. Now, he wasn't there to chat to me quite clearly, but he was there actually watching Graham Potter of Swansea because a month later he was the Brighton manager. So that was why he was uh, down there watching the game. And uh, he's got a big decision to make. And uh, yeah, I'm just interested to see where it goes. But yes, as an Albion fan and and as somebody who, who watches from afar the job that he's done, he looks one shrewd operator. A question for both of you, and I'll come to you first, George. Is the Newcastle project more appealing than being at a stable club like Brighton right now? And how much of a statement signing would this be for the Newcastle board? It would definitely be, to answer your, um, again, going all politician here, to answer your second question first, Dan. Um, I think the... Yeah, you'll, you'll start talking about jabs in a minute. No one's asked you about the vaccine. <laughs> I know, you'll start I talking about I'd, it. Or, I'd love to or, jab or, you, Bardell. I know that. <laughs> I bet you would. Or I would... Uh, or I completely ignore the question and, and to start talking about something completely different. Um... I have forgotten the question now. Yeah, I think for Newcastle, it would it would definitely be a um, a statement for sure because I think most people who followed Dan Ashworth's career path probably anticipated that his next job, if he were to ever leave Brighton, um, given the stability of that club, would probably be to a you know top six, top four club um, in a similar role. So for them, yes. For Ashworth, is it more appealing? Well, um, if you're happy to, you know, make the um, moral decision to go and work for um, the new Newcastle owners, then yeah, I guess it is. You know, you're you're coming in with a blank slate. You're able to, and rather than coming into a team where things have already been laid down, you have to assume, given the, the complete change in resources, he's going to be able to revolutionise and and build um, the recruitment side of things at Newcastle from scratch, and that is going to be appealing to anyone and doing it with basically an unlimited pot and without massive expectations to start with because, you know, they're Newcastle heavily odds on to get relegated this season. Um, 
So, I mean, it's it's not ideal for Brighton fans, but he's done an incredible job there. And Brighton have their biggest issue is that the key personnel who have got Brighton into the position to do so are unlikely to realise their potential and their ambitions at Brighton. Um, so it, even though I'm a huge fan of, of what Graham Potter's done and what Dan Ashworth has, has built, um, it doesn't feel like Brighton are on the brink of breaking into the top six at the moment. So if that's where they want to be, they're, then they're going to have to move on. So, But, you know, Tony Bloom runs an incredibly tight ship there he's very smart if Ashworth or if Potter do move on in the next couple of weeks couple of months couple of years he's going to ensure that he gets what he feels as value for both of them and he will have a list of of names of people who he thinks will be able to come in and and continue the good work there Brighton as a project is much bigger than than those two men even if they're the ones steering the ship at the moment Steve, you're sporting director at Brighton. You're identifying goal-scoring fullbacks all over the place, and Newcastle coming for you. <laughs> Do you go? <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, Thank you. I don't go. No. no, I I think I've still got a couple of years left to run uh, at Brighton. As much, I'd imagine the money is a lot better um, at Newcastle. I probably just want to. Uh, just the threat of relegation would would concern me. You know, you're buying a different type of player. I suppose you got you going from buying you know younger players with potential square pegs in square holes, value for money. I think all of a sudden you just, yeah, I, 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 I think it, I think I'd stay for a couple of years. Two of the sporting directors that I think come with big reputations are Stuart Webber at Norwich and Dan Ashworth at Brighton, George. But then if they were that good, Manchester United have needed a sporting director, a good one for the last couple of years. You know, why, why are they not coming in? Why are they not coming in for those guys? Because it's because it's unfashionable. Because it's too it's it's you know this is something that is is common, um, uh, probably especially with Manchester United, but amongst recruitment at top level footballers, um, for whatever reason, and you know a lot of a lot of elite clubs in Europe don't suffer from the same fate. But for whatever reason, the idea of of recruiting from from below and taking a perceived risk rather than um, paying premium for for proven quality at the top level just just doesn't seem to fit in with the ethos of uh, of Manchester United. You know, they did it with with Dan James um, in terms of player recruitment and they massively overspent on a player who at the time, you know, myself who covers those leagues, didn't even see as a top 20 championship player, let alone a player ready to make the step up to, to the top six. Um, I'm fully of the belief that those who evaluate a target whether it's a um, an off-field or non-pitch target based on what they've actually done and and imagining them being able to improve with better resources rather than judging them poorly for for being employed or playing for for clubs beneath them um, would be a key way to recruit smarter because you know we we, we see you know, United aren't the only one, so I don't want to pick on them. But we see so often teams just not recruiting smartly because they're paying money for 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 proven talent. Whereas actually, we've seen consistently that talent translates. Talent translates upwards. And Stuart Webber um, and Dan Ashworth. I mean, Ashworth's a bit of a different case because of his history with the England setup. But certainly, um, Webber, what he's done at Huddersfield and at, and at Norwich. Um, is is quite clearly deserving of of running a, uh, running the show at a bigger club. I mean, apologies, Brentford fans. We've not spoke about Brentford at all. But George, what's your tip for Brighton v Brentford? Kind of echoing what what uh, Steve said about the game before. I think this is probably going to be uh, a fairly cagey affair. We're not seeing plenty of goals in, in Brighton games at the moment. We saw the the one nil defeat against Wolves recently. This game at 
Brentford finish 1-0 to um, to Brighton. And I think both teams to score no at 4-5 to five is probably quite a pretty fair way to play this between two sides who, you know, aren't necessarily defensive sides, but aren't scoring the goals we've seen recently um, and are struggling to maybe convert when they do play well in an attacking sense, converting it. The irony of, of you know, as, as has been the case so often, the two teams known to be the data darlings in, in Brighton and, uh, and Brentford or have been built upon um, these data points have been the two teams who have consistently underperformed their XG over the last decade or so. And uh, that's kind of proving to be the case a bit at the moment. So yeah, not a great one. Both teams have scored now at four to five, my tip for, for that one. Final game for us to preview is on the 27th of December. Outrageous that it's not on Boxing Day and it's Newcastle versus Manchester United. And we're going to have a little looky ahead to January and look at one or two areas where these clubs could strengthen. Steve, I did a tweet on Sunday basically saying, oh, I think Newcastle are desperate for a goalkeeper. And a few people shot that down saying Dubravka's good enough. But I think sometimes the nervousness at the back stems from the goalkeeper. I mean, there's an argument that they could need players in every position, isn't there? Yeah. Probably all positions bar Callum Wilson, and I, I would say, and and I, I, I suppose how many can he get over the line? I'm sure Eddie Hay would like about about ten in to give him a chance to against just you know to stay in the division. I know the goalkeepers have chopped and changed there. I, I have previously liked uh, Dubravka, but clearly you know, whoever's in goal, the fact that a defence in front of them that are conceded 41 yeah, goals. That's fair. In, in the Premier League isn't going to give you a great deal of, of, of confidence, um, is it really? So I suppose from a defensive point of view, uh, that has to be a, a priority, Dan, uh, and um, as well as the midfield. And I, I'm interested to see what um, Kieran Trippier does over, over in Spain, you know, whether he would come back to these shores. So... Um, from a fullback position as well, you know. Let's see what happens. Yeah, we'll uh, be with having him some tips on him and, in the ne- next year if he comes in, won't we? Trippier <laughs> goal scorer. Well, is this going to be a championship podcast? Uh, ooh, yes, nice. yeah, uh, uh, of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I do love it. I do love an attacking fullback, but yeah, defence Dan has to be the priority because it's been quite a shambles. Of course, Eddie Howe is the type of manager. You know, previously we've seen Bruce Benitez quite very pragmatic and and quite defensive, and and, and Eddie Howe's defences just generally get ripped apart, don't they? So you know, especially in the last few games and. Of course, which has been a tough run, but that Leicester City game certainly uh, certainly worried me. Yeah, George, we did a podcast on this feed on Tuesday. I think it came out. It's come out today, actually, when, which is Wednesday. So basically talking about the transfer market in general and talking about how teams probably won't really want to deal with Newcastle. You, you look at Tarkovsky at Burnley, he'd be someone you'd think they might have their eye on. But Burnley aren't going to sell him to Newcastle at the moment, are they, for a number of reasons? Yeah, you wouldn't think so. Um, it would be crazy of I mean I know Burnley are going to want to recoup some money for Tarkovsky before um, the contract situation gets um, more pressing but for them to to sell uh, a player to a team who they need to um, finish above um, would be would be madness so I mean I, I, I really think Premier League clubs are going to be we, we've, we've read a lot about the anger amongst Premier League clubs at the takeover going ahead um, it is fully in their interest for Newcastle to get relegated this season and as such, you know, it's not a massive surprise to me that we're starting to see the names who are being linked to Newcastle, Trippier being one, Eden Dzeko being another one, are players who do not play for Premier League clubs but have Premier League experience. I think that seems to be the market where um, Eddie Howe and his team are, are looking to exploit. Yeah. And Manchester United, Steve, I don't personally see them being active in, in January, but what do you think? Well, I think there'll be a few players desperate to get out. Yeah. You know, Martial, Lingard, Cavani. So there might be more outs than ins. But 
in this formation that, of course, the manager plays the four two 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 two. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> in that formation, the the six or an eight. You know, the uh, you know the two uh, in midfield. That's where it feels that they're going to be going to be strengthening. There's a holding midfielder from Leipzig, uh, Amadou uh, Hadara, I think, who's, uh, who's who's suited to that style. So so he's one of them. Uh, many from 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 Monaco uh, apologies if I haven't uh, actually said that name well, you spent the whole entire of the build of the podcast <laughs> translating names on Google Steve because I heard you so you should be yeah. getting it right and um and Matthias Nuno from uh, from Sporting as well also plays in that position so so those are three names from me that could be linked with Manchester United over the next few weeks I'll tell you what Steve Sporting Director Steve give us your prediction for the game Dan you're going to love this oh, you're going to love this you know in. I love a what defender uh, and you and you know that Cancelo scored last week and when I Ben know. Davis went through last week I always thought wow yeah um, unfortunately he didn't score but he will be <laughs> scoring soon now then Manchester United are the only team in the Premier League yet to score from a set piece really right good knowledge Harry Mc- Harry Maguire might be scoring regularly for his country, but he's yet to score a Premier League goal this season. His last goal away from Old Trafford was in this fixture last October. He's had 12 unsex- unsuccessful attempts on goal, which yeah, is a mouthful that, to say. He's had 12 even... last <laughs> <laughs> 13th time lucky against Newcastle. Harry Maguire, 10-1 to to score at any time. I like it. Just before we moved on from this, I wanted to get myself taken off your Christmas card list, Dan, by by suggesting John McGinn for Manchester United. No, 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 thanks. He seems no, thanks, to me George. To Let's be, move on. He seems to me to be a perfect fit. You know, we we know that we've heard reports in the past that Sir Alex Ferguson's a massive fan that he's tried to make the move happen before. McGinn's energy, his tenacity, his ball playing ability. Um, I think he would be be perfectly suited to the four two 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 that Ralph Rangnick is employing. Sorry, oh. sorry, Dan. I hope you have a rubbish Christmas, George. That's what. That's all I'll say to you. <laughs> you are listening to a Christmas special episode of the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, and stay right there as we'll be putting our money where our mouths are for charity after the break. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Okay, it's almost Christmas and so together with Bet365 we decided to build a little mid-season charity ACCA, the proceeds from which will be going to Prostate Cancer UK, a charity that's very close to the athletics hearts. Steve, I'm going to hand over to you now. Yes, we've uh, got three £100 singles on the Premier League uh, outright market for, for the season, Dan. So um, each each and every one of us will be having £100 on, a, on an outright market, for on, on a market of our choice. So, George, take it away. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the team finishing position market uh, for Arsenal. Now, um, first, we have 200 to 1. Going to draw a line through that. Second, 66 to 1. I'm drawing a line through that. Third, 20 to 1. I'm also drawing a line through that. Seventh and lower, 13 to 8. Um, good news, Arsenal fans. I think I'm drawing a line through that one as well at 13 to 8. I personally um, think Arsenal, uh, Manchester United, and Tottenham will finish fourth, fifth, and sixth. Uh, West Ham fans may not like that, but I still think those three teams now. Uh, the way that they're playing are operating at a level that should see them clear of West Ham. Uh, I think they were one of them will need to would need to slip up in order to let, let West Ham in. I think United are, are rightful favourites to finish fourth, um, given Randnick is in uh, managing them, and we've seen a, an improvement of, of um, performances immediately. And I think we're probably going to see them strengthen in January, and then that leaves fifth and sixth and. Bet365 themselves have a match bet between Spurs and Arsenal where Arsenal are the 8-13 favourites. I think that's probably fair. So I think backing Arsenal to finish fifth at 130 um, is going to get you um, a pretty good run for your money. As I say, being able to to have a strong um, view against that seventh or lower at 13-8 to eight enables some some value to crop up, hopefully higher up. So yeah, my charity bet is, is Arsenal to finish fifth. Dan, where's your £100 charity bet for uh, Prostate Cancer UK going to go, pal? I've got absolutely no idea what the odds are. You did tell me before we came on, but I've completely forgotten, so hopefully you do know. But I'm going to go for Southampton to be relegated. I think we can probably agree that Norwich and Newcastle look the two certs to go down, that that third space is a little bit open. And I feel like Southampton are going a little bit under the radar as a team that could be in trouble. I don't think there's enough goals in their side. I don't think the defence is all that either. Watford, I think, will score too many goals if everyone stays fit, and I think they'll get themselves out of trouble under Ranieri. I think they'll have enough to stay up. They've had some good games already this season against good teams that they've won. So, yeah, I think Southampton to go down might be one that's sneaking under the radar a little bit, so I'm going to put my £100 on that. I think that's a fair shout, Dan. As for me, I'm going to go, instead of a £100 win, I'm going to go £50 each way on the top goal scorer market. And he's a big old price, and he's only got two goals. And you're thinking I'm absolutely crazy about this, but Correct. I'm going to go for I'm going to go for Harry Hotspur, Harry Kane, to st- yeah, Harry Kane to start hitting form. They've got games in the bank. Admittedly, we don't know when they'll be played at the at this current uh, time. But the way Spurs are playing right now, I've been I was very impressed last week against against Liverpool. The way that you know Kane and Son and others are, are stepping up to the plate. And they've got no players missing, of course, from the African Cup of Nations either. Harry Kane's on penalties. I just fancy a hot streak. He's just around the corner and he's well capable of doing that. I'm liking what I'm seeing at Harry Kane. So at 33 to 1 each way, I'm going to put my £50 each way on that for uh, for Prostate Cancer UK. That's bold, I would say. Let's yeah. see what happens. What were the Southampton odds, by the way? I don't, think we said, I don't think we said what they eight were. 8-1. to one. Yeah, 8-1 eight eight to to one. One for Southampton. So, you know, we could be making some serious money for charity here, which would be a great thing fantastic yeah thanks yeah to fantastic Bet- indeed thanks to bet365 for sorting that out i look forward to seeing how that progresses we'll chart it i guess through the shows in 2022 and see how we are looking just enough time for me to remind you that if for some reason you're not already a subscriber to the athletic and you would like to change that head to theathletic.com slash football pod and gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad free podcasts for just £3.33 a month for 12 months that's theathletic.com slash football pod thanks to steve thanks to george and of course thanks to all of you for listening all season long so far as well hope everyone has a tremendous christmas and a really really happy new year remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show when we return in 2022 
You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Enjoy all the football and as I say, have a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. The Athletic.